at uh, lie ahead and to keep us up to date in terms of where things are, where and when. Um, so what we will do is colleagues, we'll hand over to the AG. Um, and I think let's start with Road Accident Fund, um, AG. Recording in progress. And then uh, go to um, SAA. Um, because as indicated, the SAA meeting, SAA related matters meeting is next week. Um, so it is good for us to get a briefing from AG. So colleagues, uh, blessed Wednesday to you all and, good, and welcome to everybody in the meeting. Um, and without any further ado, let me hand over then to Team Auditor General, um, and then we will be in your hands. So we will do one presentation, full questions, and then the next, because I think the issues are so uh, vastly different. Um, yeah, all right. Thank you very much. Um, Team AG, over to you. Um, morning, Chair, um, and, and morning to, to the committee members. I do hope um, you can see my, my proof of life. Um, on the floor is, is Madidi Malosingo. Um, I am a acting business unit leader for uh, National B. Uh, National B is a business unit within the Auditor General's office that looks after the transport portfolio um, and in particular <clears throat> also looks at, 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 at RAF. Um, maybe before we start, just to thank the, the committee and the chair uh, for providing us this opportunity uh, to brief you on the audit outcomes of, of RAF. Um, chair, with your permission, before I continue, I'd like to introduce some of the colleagues that are going to be with us in the session today. Um, and let me start with, um, with uh, Nicholas Mukwena. Uh, Nicholas is the acting deputy business unit leader, um, also in the transport portfolio within the Auditor General's office. So he supports the teams that are operating in that sector. And then also with me is Vinay Rambali. Uh, Vinay is the senior manager on the engagement. I think if you look at it from a a private sector perspective, he would then be uh, the audit partner on, on the engagement. Um, also with me is, um, is, is Walter. Uh, Walter is joining us from our technical team um, and he will assist us in terms of some of the technical questions that might come from the committee. Um, and also, Chair, um, I will maybe just uh, reference our colleagues that are also joining us from um, the SAA team, I just would like to acknowledge uh, Tamsanga Zikode, who is the head of portfolio uh, for um, uh, the business unit that deals with, with SAA. Um, together with him is Zolisa Zwakala, who is a business unit leader in that division as well. Um, and also Pumarani Rabonda, who is also um, from uh, a business unit that is primarily dealing with, with SAA matters. Uh, Chair, maybe with that, um, we can go to, to the business of the day. Today, we're really here to brief the committee around the audit outcomes of, of REF. Um, particularly, um, we'll take the committee through this audit outcomes stemming from 2718, 
but our primary focus is going to be on the 2021 uh, audit outcomes. Um, Chair, you would you would have noticed in in our, in our briefing document that if you look at the audit outcomes of RAF, um, when you look at it from 2718 uh, to currently the 2021 audit outcomes, you would see that there has been a general um, uh, regression in this audit outcomes. Um, if you look at some of the reasons that have led to um, the regression in outcomes, it primarily relates to um, a change in the accounting manner in which the REV had been accounting for the provision uh, of claims, uh, which are claims that arise from accidents that have happened um, in the REV environment for which REV then becomes liable. So that change in accounting treatment chair um, is one of the areas that um, has led to, to the regression in audit outcomes when we look at the quality of the financial statements that were provided for audit. In looking at that chair, we will then take you into our confidence in terms of the reasons that uh, we find ourselves uh, differing with uh, the, the, the REV was accounting for these matters. And, and, and we'll take you through the process that we also followed in terms of ensuring that we properly ventilate uh, these matters with management, with um, and ultimately the other parties that got involved in trying to resolve the difference of opinion that existed between uh, the Auditor General's office as well as the, um, as the World Exited Fund. Also, looking at the regression in this audit outcomes, one of the other key areas that uh, led to, to, to the regression was uh, material non-compliance laws and regulations, specifically as, I, or as it relates to um, the preparation of the financial statements in accordance with framework. Uh, and secondly, also when it comes to compliance regulations relating to procurement and contract uh, management precedents. So we will through some of the findings that we have identified in that space and, and the materiality of, 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 those, um, of those areas. Lastly, in looking at the audit outcomes, one of the other key things that we looked at uh, which impacted the outcomes current year was the issue around um, the and the assumptions that were used, and that was also largely impacted by the change in accounting policy um, for, for, for um, how they've been accounted for um, for the provisions and claims. So we also have confidence in terms of how we have applied ourselves with regard to what was in the, the, the outcomes in, in that regard. Um, Chair, in concluding this audit, I think it's also important to really reflect on the process that us as the Auditor General followed during uh, this audit. Um, and this is another area that we believe that engaged the committee around how we have tried on our side to make sure that um, we have provided sufficient opportunity to, to ref, to, to, to present their case to us, and how we've to do that in terms of the process that was followed. Ultimately, this protracted uh, audit process that only ended in, in December, um, and in looking at the process that was followed, we'll then take into our confidence in terms of the dispute resolution process that um, REF then 
um, opted to to follow. What was then the the outcome of that? And obviously, we know that at the end, um, we 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 concluded that um, the view that the Auditor General had in terms of the provision of these claims um, was how we then concluded uh, on the audit, and that to uh, the, the, the rep then taking this matter uh, through the courts uh, with the litigation process that is currently um, and will also take into our confidence in terms of um, the two areas that uh, the, the, the part A, we referred to it as part A, uh, where we were interdicting our audit report. And secondly, the second part, which relates of, of, of the difference in opinion um, and where we are with that process. Um, obviously, Chair, uh, some of the matters the committee on today, um, we may not be able to ventilate because they are sitting in, um, in, 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 in uh, but we will de- de- try our level best to make sure that we take the, the committee into our confidence in as far as it relates to uh, the process, um, and 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 we'll try and also just make sure that uh, we're able to provide comprehensively, so that the committee understands where we are, and 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 how uh, it is actually going. Chair, maybe with that, if I can maybe pause there with that introduction of our briefing on the outcomes, um, I'd like to hand over to Venera has been through the detail um, and hopefully the context that I've provided at the beginning will assist the members in 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 in, in comprehending the the, the, the remainder of, of the detailed feedback that will be coming through. So with that chair, maybe if I can pause there and allow Vinay with your permission to then take thank you. Okay um, thank you very much um for that um, introduction we'll, we are completely in your hands so you will structure the briefing as you deem fit uh, for effective uh, output on your side thank you very much uh, good morning honorable chair uh, honorable members of the committee uh, colleagues from the auditor general and uh, other attendees uh, i'm vinay rambali uh, just proof of life uh, I will switch off my video now, Chair, uh, while I'm presenting. Uh, if I can ask, please, for permission to be able to share my screen so that I can take you through the uh, presentation. Uh, thank you, Chair. BK? Yes, Chair. Let me get on that. Uh, Chair, I'm, I'm hoping you, you, you are able to see my screen and um, the presentation. Good to go. Thank you very much. Uh, once again, uh, good morning, Chair. Good morning, uh, uh, honorable members of the committee. Uh, as Mari indicated, we will be taking you through uh, the briefing on the Road Accident Fund audit outcomes of 2021 uh, financial year. And, and briefly, in terms of the, the, pre, the presentation and the content of the presentation, we will touch on the audit opinion history, 
uh, the overview of the audit outcomes in terms of a general message, uh, the litigation process that Marty mentioned, and then specifically going into the details of the contents of the audit report in terms of the specific modification paragraphs, uh, the areas of focus being the compliance uh, subject matters as well as the uh, audit of performance information, and then touching on the drivers of the internal control uh, that led to the regression, an overall conclusion, and then uh, some key recommendations that we would like to make to the committee. So in, in terms of the presentation, I'm moving on to page three, uh, which covers basically the purpose of this document is basically to give the uh, committee an overview of the audit outcome and the matters that led to the regression. On the organizational structure chair, what you will see is this is the latest organizational structure that we have of the road accident fund. Obviously, uh, this uh, does change uh, based on when posts are filled and, and changes to the organizational structure. Uh, if I move to page four, chair, on the top, the funding, uh, the RAF is primarily funded from the few levies. And in the 2021 financial year, they've received uh, 42 billion rents. So the fuel levies is based on the consumption of fuel uh, by the road users, and that gets paid to the uh, road accident fund. In terms of the audit opinion history, uh, you'll note from 2017-18 to 2018-19, it was an unqualified audit opinion. Uh, the key areas that led to the, uh, uh, to the fact that they didn't get a clean audit in 2017-18 was around procurement and contract management, certain non-compliance identified there, uh, the failure to prevent expenditure, uh, fruitless and wasteful, as well as, ex uh, as well as irregular expenditure, and there were certain issues around their reported performance. It, in the 2018-19 financial year, the key issue there was the uh, reliability of their reported performance. And in 2019-20, they've in fact got a clean audit, so there were no issues that we've identified. And then 2021 was a disclaimer of audit opinion. And the disclaimer of audit opinion was primarily driven by the change in accounting policy and how they accounted for the claims liability. So you'll note the areas of modification being uh, claims expenditure, claims liability, uh, the non-disclosure of all of the regular expenditure, the fact that they uh, haven't given us certain representations from the accounting authority. And then there were certain disclosure notes. Uh, that were incomplete uh, when assessed against the accounting standards. And then there were issues around uh, compliance with legislation, the quality of the financial statements, uh, basically the material misstatements that we've identified, the failure to prevent irregular expenditure. And there was an issue around procurement and contract management that led to uh, the non-compliance and the incurrence of irregular expenditure. We didn't have any findings on the usefulness or reliability of the reported performance. So in, in summary, that's the opinion history. Uh, so in terms of uh, the next page, which is page five, covering the overall message, Marty did touch on the regression from the previous year. And the regression was primarily driven by the change in accounting policy. So what REF did in 2020-21 financial year, management decided to change the accounting policy uh, for accounting for the claims liabilities. And they've used uh, the IPSIS 42, which is the International Public Sector Accounting Standards that was released by that body uh, to formulate the accounting policy. And when we assessed that change in accounting policy, we found that it, 
it was in conflict with the uh, generally recognized accounting practice or GRAP that is normally, uh, which is applicable to the road accident fund. And the key difference that we picked up, uh, uh, Chairperson, was that the timing of recognizing the liability under Ipsos 42 was significantly different when compared to the conceptual framework within GRAP. So that trigger for the liability uh, would have been under, under the conceptual framework and our understanding of the, the RAF Act would have been when an accident occurs, then there's immediately a liability that should be recognized by the RAF. However, when uh, management adopted Ipsos 42, they've assessed that they only incur a liability when an offer has been made to a claimant and not before then. So before then, there is no liability uh, according to, to management. Furthermore, Ipsos 42 uh, is not in the list of standards that's available for use uh, in Directive 5. And Directive 5 is prescribed, or the, the, the standards uh, that are set for, for GRAP uh, is determined by the Accounting Standards Board, which is the authority to determine the appropriate uh, accounting standards. And where there isn't an applicable standard under GRAP, the GRAP Financial Reporting uh, Framework, then what the ASB would do is they would then issue uh, options in terms of Directive 5 of additional or alternative standards that could be used. And in the past, the REF uh, used IFRS 4, and that was a standard that was available for use in terms of Directive 5. So just based on the impact of the change in accounting policy, Chairperson, you'd be able to see uh, from 2018-19 to 2019-20, what REF was recording as the liability for their claims uh, was around $330 billion for 2019-20 and $272 billion for 2018-19. And that was driven by the liability that they recorded uh, for outstanding claims. So those would have been claims that are registered on the REF system. However, certain processes still needed uh, to be completed before a final offer could be made. And also claims for uh, accidents that were incurred, but not yet reported. So an accident would have, uh, uh, would have occurred and ultimately uh, what would happen is that there would be a liability uh, on the REF for that accident. These amounts, uh, Chairperson, is determined by an actuarial expert and that has been done in the prior years. So preceding 2021, financial year, an actuarial expert would have determined those amounts. And then in addition to that, you would have had claims that were through the system. So it's been approved for payment, however, not paid at year end. And that's the 15 billion in 2019-20 and the 11 billion in 2018-19. However, if we go to 2021 financial year, you'll note that Based on the change in accounting policy, RAF then didn't recognize any liabilities for the claims that are registered on their system. That still has to go through a process. They haven't recognized any claims for accidents that have incurred but not yet reported to them. And the only liabilities that they have recorded was for the claims requested, not yet paid, and for claims for which they have made an offer but not yet requested for payment. So. 27 billion in 2020-21 financial year uh, compared to 330 billion in the previous financial year. So the significant impact has been that the reduction in the uh, claims liability of the change in accounting policy. So if we move to page six, that just unpacks further 
the, the fact that we, were, we, we, we concluded that this misstatement was pervasive. Uh, it, it affected the material account balances and classes of transactions on the financial statements. So to the user, we felt that the user wouldn't be able to appreciate the two extent of the liability of the REF due to this change in accounting policy. So that was our significant disagreement. What management then did uh, is then they followed a dispute resolution process, which is allowed, and they have approached the Office of the Accounting uh, Accountant General, which is the authority that deals with accounting matters. And this uh, process of the dispute resolution was protracted, uh, and it ultimately led to an, a view that was expressed by the OAG on the 4th of December. However, the REF uh, did not uh, agree or accept that, that process or the views of the OAG. And as the Auditor General, we had no legal basis to, to continue delaying the finalization of the audit. Hence, we, we, we undertook to finalize the audit and we've issued our audit report on the 21st of December. So in assessing the uh, appropriateness of using uh, Ipsos 42, we concluded that that resulted in a material misstatement to the financial statements and the financial statements were pervasively misstated, which led to the disclaimer of uh, audit opinion. The next area in terms of the overall message chairperson was on the irregular expenditure. Management did identify an additional 92 million rands of irregular expenditure, and that was basically on one award where the price evaluation was not done in terms of the Preferential Procurement Policy Framework Act or Triple PFA. Uh, the matter was investigated, and uh, it, the, the, the consequence management. Uh, has been undertaken or is in the process of being undertaken by management on that. And, and the key uh, root cause for that was the preventative controls over compliance monitoring uh, was, in our view, ineffective. Uh, that led to the incurrence of the irregular expenditure. If we move to the next area in terms of the overall message, the going concern, and uh, Chairperson, you'll, you'll note that REF has uh, continued in the past, uh, has continually been in a net deficit and a net liability position. And with this change in accounting policy, the true extent of the net liability position was not evident due to the huge reduction from 330 billion to 27 billions of liability uh, on the claims uh, on the claims side. However, even with, without that, they were still in, an, in a current liability and net liability position. And that poses certain uh, solvency issues and liquidity challenges for the REF and our uncertainty as to whether uh, the entity would be able to meet its obligations in the foreseeable future. And taking that into account, then we assessed whether there was adequate disclosure in the financial statements around this uncertainty and what management's plans were to uh, mitigate against this uncertainty. And we found that that disclosure was insufficient. Uh, and based on that, we've included an additional modification paragraph due to the uh, limitation of disclosure around the uh, management's plans. Then on the representation letter chairperson, as part of the audit process, we do uh, annually request written representations from the accounting authority to confirm that they have fulfilled their responsibilities in terms of the preparation and the presentation of the financial statements in accordance with the uh, applicable financial reporting framework, which in this case is a GRAP. 
uh, and that they provided all of the information to us and that they have recorded all of their transactions completely in the financial statements. We were not provided with that written representation and that was an a part of audit evidence that we weren't able to obtain on the audit. Uh, so hence we concluded an additional disclaimer of audit opinion uh, paragraph in the audit report. Uh, then in terms of the audit finalization, Mari um, did touch on this a little bit, uh, where the process was uh, delayed and protracted, and that was purely as a result of the disagreement by management uh, on the conclusion uh, reached by us as the Auditor General on the appropriateness of using Ipsos 42 to change its accounting policy. We did start our engagements immediately after receipt of the financial statements, and that process was protracted and then referred to the accountant general as part of the dispute resolution process in August 2021. The dispute resolution process chair did take quite some time. And as I indicated, the OAG did give their views uh, on the 4th of December. Uh, however, RAF management disagreed with that. And then we didn't have any uh, basis or there wasn't any process that we were aware of that could continue to delay the, the sign-off. And hence, we signed off the uh, audit report on the 21st of December. Uh, in, in trying to set up uh, or in trying to conclude the audit in December, we did request uh, certain engagements to happen, and normally the engagements with the audit committee and for them, uh, for the RAF to provide us with the adjusted financial statements because there were certain misstatements that were identified for instance, on the claims expenditure, as well as the irregular expenditure identified for management, uh, and also the rep written representations, which I did speak to earlier. And these were not set up in a timely manner, hence we concluded the audit in the absence of that. And as I indicated, the audit report was uh, issued on the 21st of December. Uh, we did issue a courtesy letter to the executive authority on their responsibility to table the audit report uh, that was issued on the 21st of December, and uh, failing which we would then proceed uh, to publish the audit report by 31st of March 2022. So uh, in the absence of the executive authority tabling the uh, audit, report, audit report as part of the annual report, we then uh, con uh, concluded and published our audit report uh, submitted to the Speaker of Parliament on the 31st of March, 2022, uh, in accordance with the Public Audit Act and the PFMA. So that's in terms of the process uh, that, that was followed in terms of finalizing the audit. The next area that we covered, Chairperson, on page eight is around the litigation by the REF against, uh, against the Auditor General. Uh, this litigation was, or the notice of motion was served to us on the 15th of January, uh, and it was in two parts. Uh, Mari did touch on this, the first part being uh, one which wanted to interdict us from publishing the audit report that was finalized, and secondly, to review the disclaimer of audit opinion and the content of the audit report. Uh, so basically, part B was around to, to make sure or to try and declare the audit report and the contents thereof invalid and unlawful. Uh, so in addition to that, uh, the, the declaration of invalidity was for a period of six months. So they wanted six months to try and remedy, remedy that defect in terms of the audit opinion and the content of the audit report. Uh, REF then filed a supplementary affidavit on the 5th of April 2022. And there were 14 grounds of review in that uh, application. 
which basically touches on or questions the process that we followed as the Auditor General to finalize the audit. It questioned our over, overreaching of powers in terms of de determining appropriateness of accounting policies and questions the basis that uh, on, for the conclusions that we, uh, that we reached in determining that it was inappropriate for RAF to use IPSIS 42 uh, and the conclusion and classification of RAF activities. Uh, we were successful as the Auditor General in opposing part A, and this, uh, however, RAF did file uh, a leave to appeal that ruling on, on part A. It was heard on the 21st of April, 2022, a chairperson, but the judgment was reserved. And then we are in the process of busy drafting our replying or answering affidavit to part B. And we, we don't have a date yet when that will be set down for hearing in the high court. So that's in terms of the overall message. In terms of the specific modification paragraphs or disclaimer paragraphs from the audit report, this is per the audit report uh, chairperson. And you'll note that it was a disclaimer of audit opinion, which means that we couldn't express an opinion on whether the claims liability and the claims expenditure and the supporting disclosure notes were uh, correct or fairly presented. And there was a limitation placed on us because the amount, as I indicated, that is used or the amount that uh, for the provision for the outstanding liabilities is normally done by an actuarial expert. In the absence of that, uh, we couldn't confirm whether those amounts in the financial statements are fairly presented or, or not. And this was due to the disagreement uh, around the using of Ipsos 42 to change the accounting policy. The other uh, uh, disclaimer of audit opinion uh, paragraphs included in the audit report was the uh, change in accounting policy uh, and the fact that it wasn't disclosed adequately in terms of GRAP 3 uh, on the accounting policies, estimates and errors and the impact of the prior years. So it only uh, reflected the impact of the prior years and not the impact on the current year due to the change in accounting policy. Further to that, there was an additional uh, disclaimer of audit opinion paragraph on going concern. Chairperson, as I alluded to earlier, the full extent of the uh, liability is not included in the financial statements. Hence, the financial position of the RAF is not fairly presented and also management's plans as to how they're gonna mitigate that risk of, uh, of not being a going concern was not sufficiently disclosed in the financial statements. Then on claims expenditure, there were certain misstatements through the audit process that we've identified, which were not corrected by, by management. And Chairperson, this was done on a sample basis. Our testing is normally done on a sample basis. So the misstatements that we've identified did impact the current year and the prior year. And we weren't able to conclude that claims expenditure was then fairly presented. On the irregular expenditure, uh, Chairperson, the additional uh, irregular expenditure of 90 million that was identified by management wasn't corrected in the financial statements uh, because we used the financial statements submitted at 31 May to conclude our audit as management didn't give us updated or revised financial statements when we are concluding the audit process. Then further to that, an additional disclaimer of audit uh, opinion paragraph was around the written representations. And these were the representations that we needed from the accounting authority uh, to, con to confirm that they have fulfilled their obligations around financial reporting and the fair presentation of the financial statements. 
And if we move to page 11 on the key focus areas, predetermined objectives of performance reporting chairperson, as I indicated, we didn't identify any material findings uh, around the usefulness or reliability uh, of outcome one that was selected and scoped in for the audit. Uh, on compliance, the irregular expenditure that was incurred by REF over the three years, it's been around 340 million. Uh, a slight increase from the prior year of 3 million, but uh, remember that the 90 million is not included in the 344 million. So in essence, we're looking at about a 93 million uh, increase in irregular expenditure. Management does take action uh, when they do identify uh, irregular expenditure. And the 90 million was, as I said, uh, the, the due, due to the non-compliance with the triple PFA in the price evaluation. The bulk of the irregular expenditure of 335 million was identified in the 2017-18 financial year, but related to a contract that was awarded much earlier, Chairperson. And that matter is currently being investigated by the SIU. Uh, in terms of the other findings on the compliance subject matters, we did speak about the quality of the financial statements. So due to the adoption or the use of IPSIS 42, uh, we found that the financial statements were not fairly presented. And in terms of the root cause or the internal control deficiency, we found that the accounting authority did not put adequate measures to make sure that they do prepare the financial statements in accordance with the applicable financial reporting framework, uh, which is GRAP in this case. And then we make certain recommendations uh, that they should be looking at enhancing their preventative controls uh, to make sure that they are preparing their financial statements in accordance with the applicable financial reporting framework. And then the audit committee should also provide some oversight over that. Uh, in terms of expenditure management, the steps taken to prevent irregular expenditure, I did speak about the 90 million chair, uh, the irregular expenditure that was identified by management. And this was due to uh, uh, ineffective preventive controls over compliance monitoring. And here we're recommending that they should enhance their, their system of internal controls to make sure that they try and prevent uh, these uh, instances of non-compliance that lead to irregular care. Uh, under 6.3 on the IT performance, there were certain uh, weaknesses that we've identified in the IT audit space. And uh, recently, uh, well, in the 21-22 financial year, uh, the RAF IT network was a victim of a malware attack. And uh, those were, as a result of certain of the weaknesses that we were we would have identified in prior years. So this impact of the malware attack, as I said, was in, in the 21-22 financial year. And we will assess that impact uh, in the current year audit uh, chairperson. In terms of the drivers of internal control, we assess the drivers under three key broad areas, leadership, financial performance management, and governance. And you'll note that we have uh, a concern or rather an intervention that is required around oversight, uh, responsibility, reporting, and compliance. And that is uh, mainly due to the change in accounting policies. So what we're saying is that management supported, supported by the accounting authority should ensure that they apply appropriate oversight when these key decisions are made around the changes to the accounting policy that impact the financial statements generally. Uh, and then if I move further down, 
the compliance with laws and regulations, again, the ineffective uh, preventative controls that led to the irregular expenditure, record keeping, especially in procurement and contract management to make sure that information is available when requested, uh, and then governance uh, in terms of enhancing their oversight and then internal audit in terms of reviewing the financial statements thoroughly uh, before they submit uh, for uh, audit purposes. And then in terms of audit con overall conclusion, Chairperson, on page 14, uh, I mean, the, the, the disagreement over the accounting uh, treatment of the claims liability is the main reason for the regression in audit outcome. It has led to uh, or affected the, the, the relationship between the RF and the Auditor General and has diverted our attention somewhat uh, towards addressing other audit-related matters. We have engaged uh, RAF management in the accounting authority uh, with a view to rebuilding that relationship and avoiding similar challenges in future. And as the Auditor General, we believe that the courts are not the suitable platform uh, to resolve these technical uh, complex accounting and auditing disputes. Uh, in terms of recommendations to the committee uh, chairperson, these are some of the suggestions that we want to make is basically to follow up with the executive authority on the actions that are being taken to address audit findings, enhancing oversight uh, on the REF, and, and following up with the uh, REF accounting authority on the permanent appointment of key executive vacancies, such as the uh, chief operating officer, chief internal audit, chief strategy officer, et cetera, and then the action plan that is drafted to address uh, the audit findings and then engage the executive authority uh, on the uh, actions to be taken uh, to make sure that we don't experience similar challenges as per the current year. Uh, Chairperson, that's where I'll stop and thank you for the opportunity. Okay, thank you very much um, for that uh, briefing uh, by the AG on uh, um, the ref. I just want to may say one thing, colleagues. Um, there is a um, litigation before a court and scope has been cited as a respondent. We are going to be scheduling a a briefing by uh, Parliament Legal uh, Services. It's a class action. It's got no adverse uh, implication on the committee, nor is it, it's, it just cites us as a respondent uh, on that. Um, so there will be briefing on that and it's ref related. Um, so it's just, it's just that I just want to bring that to the attention of colleagues, right? Babu Samia, you are first off the bat, and colleagues, please indicate if you uh, wish to speak. Babu Samia, over to you. No, no thank you very much, uh, uh, Honorable Chair, and uh, good morning, um, the colleagues um, and the Auditor General team, which is here. Uh, in the first instance, I wanted to establish, Chair, because uh, in the materiality, um, of things here sharply a, a matter which has been raised which will, uh, come, comes up is as a result of a, a standard uh, which uh, come from the uh, EPSIS 42 which is not in the list and the issuance of any standards in terms of the custodianship um, resides with the Office of the Accountant General. 
the AG uh, uh, engages on the audit function based on the existing uh, standards and, and therefore any policy uh, permissions um, which deals with such uh, uh, matters as accounting treatment uh, would have to arise out of a formal um, uh, authenticated uh, accounting uh, standard uh, by the accounting, accounting general. I don't know whether uh, we have here from Treasury uh, someone who comes from that office because the maturity aspect rise from that fact. If you hear uh, all the aspects that uh, uh, relate to the AG's finding, finding uh, they hang on that um, uh, area. Uh, for for the completeness of our uh, engagement with the AG on this matter, uh, can we hear from uh, Treasury? Uh, was, my, my question is is of the view that uh, uh, AG does not necessarily uh, develop any standards, follows the set standards, uh, prescribed standards. Uh, uh, you see from from Treasury. And, and so the confirmation of the report as it has been um, uh, handed to us uh, currently. Thank you, Chair. Okay, um, Bob Samuel, thank you very much. Um, no, National Treasury is not here today. It's just AG this morning who are presenting mm. on, the, uh, on the audit outcomes. Uh, we will get National Treasury to be part and parcel of the hearing of the meeting and then um, flag your issues for that day for the 17th. So Ben, please just make it a point. Um, ordinarily, they will be in attendance in any case as they attend all um, uh, uh, hearings, but just make sure that uh, they, 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 they are there uh, on, the, on the 17th. Right, Honorable Hattab and Honorable Liz, and then Honorable Mente in that order, please. No, thanks. Um... Chair, um, I just want to first get clarity from the AG team. I, I know this question might be better um, explained by the entity, but uh, if they've got information, they would assist as to um, were they given the reasons that led to the entity changing from uh, the previous accounting standard to this abscess um, um, F42. Um, what, what were the reasons given? And secondly, Chair, is it entirely up to the NTT um, to change? Um, shouldn't they get concurrence or confirmation given the fact that there was mentioned that um, uh, the, the, the current EPSIS um, 42 is not included in the list um, of standards for use in, in Directive 5. Um, if they also, if they can also explain what does Directive 5 uh, uh, and, entail. Um, the second question, uh, you mentioned that the management did not agree with the feedback from the Office of the Accountant General. 
uh, what was the feedback? He did not give us um, exactly what was the feedback. Um, the last question from my side, Chair, he, uh, there was an indication that um, um, AG was successful in court on part A um, and there were no indication, just a brief indication what was part A all about, Chair, uh, and part B. So um, if it's not issues that are subjudicate, just give us a sense and, and understanding in relation to, to, to these issues, Chair. Um, that will be my clarity-seeking questions for now. Oh, thank you, Honourable List. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you to the AG. Um, Mr. Chairman, the RAF has been bankrupt for many, many years, and and nothing changes, and 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 yet we we now get into a legal dispute about the extent of the bankruptcy. Uh, it's quite ludicrous. What can the AG give us some indication of what their legal costs have been to defend this this ridiculous action by the RAF? Um, what we have is the RAF keeping the courts busy, um, pushing costs, taking taxpayers' money, and wasting it on court action um, instead of focusing on their core function. So. What exactly have uh, what well what's the the costs of the AG legal costs so far and uh, and we'll ask the the RAF um, in due course what their costs have been um, as per um, Honourable Khatteba with an H um, has can the AG give us some indication of what exactly the RAF hoped to achieve because no matter how you look at the liabilities. The organization is bankrupt um, and 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 what what exactly would be the benefit um, in the long run other than simply changing some figures on a bankrupt balance balance sheet um, then I, I I must say mr chairman I'm somewhat disappointed in the temerity um, of the recommendations by the AG um, I, I would have thought that Hello. the recommendation in Johnny Oh. Sorry, Honorable Sovio, um, your mic. Mr. Chairman, I would have thought that the AG um, would be a lot more robust with its recommendations. So if, if the AG... Uh, perhaps has some other thoughts about recommendations for the committee. I would appreciate that. Thank you very much. Right, thanks, Honourable List. Honourable Mente, and then AG will come in to um, respond, and then if there's, then we'll move on to SAA. All right, Honourable Mente. Thank you, Chair. I hope my network is clearer today. You can hear me? Yeah, we can hear you perfectly. Thank you very much. Chairperson, um, I also have um, and uh, concur with the sentiments of Ubeki, Honorable Adeb. And then 2019, they had clean audit. 2020, there's a disclaimer. There's something fundamentally wrong 
And I'd, I'm not sure if I'm the only one who is not understanding this. And AG ought to at least explain what were the red flags when they were there. Because if they were clean 2019-20, and all of a sudden 2020-21, they, che- they change the standard, um, the, the, the auditing standards and the policies or whatsoever. And no one see it coming and no one had picked this up. Wasn't there any sign that things are going to change? And wasn't there any indication to the Auditor General in terms of the standards that they are going to change? Because for me, there is something fundamentally wrong and I'm not sure who was supposed to pick it up at what point. And it's correct, Babu Somio, when he says, between Auditor General National Treasury, there is an explanation that must happen here. Because if ever you, you are confident and comfortable with an entity for this year, there are questions, and I'm sure there is a kind of, of, of a question template they utilize to understand what standards are they using? How do they get things right? And then the very same prescript on that particular template changes and no one has indicated that we are changing so that they, they become aware and they also make the other entity aware that that which you want to bring in and utilize as your auditing standard is not acceptable and therefore is going to give you problems in the certain areas whereas ag we cannot then be able to obtain the necessary information we require in order for us to make findings on your day-to-day that you are dealing with where uh, uh, financial standards are concerned. So I am not clear at all. I'm hearing what is being explained, but I'm just not clear that an entity can just penduka in a year's time with no one picking up, no one knows what's happening, and then only on auditing you pick up everything else and then it lands you on the red. We know the status of the, the this entity and it's a um, financial uh, problems and everything else. But when it comes to auditing, there ought to be some kind of a relationship. And that relationship is the one that must be informing the Auditor General, the National Treasury, and the entity of our relationship is have this kind of an understanding at this level. But the moment you then jump to this level, it means that me and you, we don't understand each other. And therefore we don't use the same tool to measure each other. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Yeah, it's a, it's a total, uh, you know, it's an interesting case. It's a total 180 from one extreme end to the very extreme end, from clean to just on that. My only question is, and then AG, please come in. Are there, rather, was there a change uh, in the team that the AG team that was auditing 
uh, ref in from so from the previous year to the year under review um, in terms of persons. All right, uh, AG, over to you. Thank you. Thank you, honorable members and, and chair for um, I'm going to, to, to kick us off in terms of some of the responses and then my colleagues will then also come in. I think in terms of the, the first question relating to the use of IPSIS 42 um, and, and, and the pronouncements by, by National Treasury, I think for us to, to clarify that um, the, the accounting standard setting body is, is the accounting standards board. Um, and, and when we conduct our audit, we conduct our audit in standards that have been set uh, by the accounting standards um, to, to the extent that uh, the National Treasury was involved in this case, it was really uh, to assist us with the as, as Vinay has articulated earlier. If you go to the question specifically that uh, the, the member had raised around um, the materiality aspect of, of, of the standards, I think that, that, that National Treasury would, would need to respond to, but uh, as you would have seen as the numbers were, were being presented in terms of the audit outcome, EPSIS 42, or the, or the decision by um, by to this particular standard did have a material impact on, um, on, 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 on the financial statements of, of RAF and how they, they account uh, for, 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 for the provisions claims. So I think to, in summary, from our perspective, we really audit in terms of what has been made available. Um, and I suppose it gets me to the next question, which uh, was asked by Honorable Hadewe around the use of Directive 5. So leading uh, or coming from uh, standards that would have been set by the Accounting Standards Board, uh, Directive 5 then would then assist us um, in terms of the Accounting Standards Board, those standards that um, are available for use. Um, and case, uh, IPSIS 42 was definitely one of those standards that was then not, uh, not, not available for use. Uh, so that is just uh, the, the, the in terms of uh, the use of, of Directive 5. I think also to, to, to answer the Honorable Hadewe's question in terms of whether management is within their rights to uh, set a, a change in accounting policy. So the simple answer is yes. Uh, management um, and those charged with governance uh, through the accounting authority of setting out the accounting policies that will be used adoption in the financial statements and determining the fair presentation of the financial statements. However, in this case, um, what we would general is that in the process of um, adopting this policy, um, what, what happened was that the accounting authority adopted a standard which was not available for use. Uh, so once the, the set by the accounting standards board, the, 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 the accounting authority that to prepare the financial statements in terms of that accounting framework. And in this instance, as they were making the decision, 
to formulate their county policies, they chose through a standard which, which was not available for use um, as in Directive 5. Um, in terms of um, it, it, the Part A, uh, so if, if we look at, at, at um, so what we were, um, what, what we to do was to interdict uh, the Office of the Auditor General from issuing the the audit report, um, and as indicated, um, the AGSA was then successful in 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 part A, um, and hence our 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 decision to proceed to 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 finalize the the the, the audit report and also uh, to 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 Parliament having no other reason to to, to withhold. Um, in terms of Part B, uh, that will generally deal with the merits of the case in terms of the contents of our audit report, um, and, and that is currently the way we are in the process of responding to uh, the, the to, to the affidavit that has been sent to us by by REF. Um, I think on the questions of the legal costs, I'm going to defer that to our um, looking at um, some of the of the recommendations. I think um, the, the one key thing that we, we, we realized through this process is, is, is that it is important that the necessary oversight be exercised over the REF affairs, uh, in terms of um, the going concern matters that continue to, 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 uh, to play to the, the, the institution. Uh, that as we look into the issues that may seem to be but it is also important that um, the committee then starts looking at uh, the action plans that have been put in place by, by the accounting authority in terms of remedying the, the, the particular situation and other matters that we've highlighted as, as, as being of concern. Um, and I think we've spoken quite a lot about the going concern. We've spoken a lot about uh, the compliance matters that, that we've raised and particularly also and the accounting treatment of, of, of REF. Um, so I think from that perspective, um, we do believe that uh, more, more oversight needs to be and particularly um, around those, those, those audit matters. Um, if we look at uh, the question that was raised around the clean audit versus the disclaimer, I think what is clear is that in the, in the current financial year where we're discussing the audit outcome, um, not been made in terms of changing the the, the accounting policy. Uh, so when we looked at the nine, 1920s, we were fairly comfortable that uh, uh, the ref was actually taking uh, accounting for provisions uh, claim in terms of in terms of the standard. Um, and when we got into the new financial year and the changes started uh, being discussed, that quite proactive in terms of ensuring that we did engage management uh, leading to uh, the, 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 the preparation of to ensure that uh, in terms of what this change would mean uh, for the REP would have then been uh, been found. Um, and when one looks at the accounts of REP really um, it, it, it looks like it's chalk and cheese when you compare this, but at the core of was that uh, change in, in, in accounting policy. Um, looking at the change team, um, 
So the team that audited the 2020-21 uh, financial statements uh, the same as the ones previous years. Um, only in the current year, in 2022, do we have some changes in, in, in the team. The team that have done this audit in previous years remains intact. Uh, the changes have only been leadership level um, with Nicholas uh, joining the team. Uh, maybe I can pause the chair um, and allow my also come in and, and respond. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, good morning, Honorable members. I hope you can hear me. Okay, all right, I hope you can. Um, so the the question around um, legal fees, obviously when 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 there's party and the part B, what happens in the in the court in part A is that, that the, the court as it pertains to costs, that matter is reserved until the finalization of, uh, of part B. Uh, however, obviously, you know, we do get invoice, for instance, on a, on a monthly basis by our legal team. And at, at this stage, um, the estimated amount that uh, we've, we've paid, because obviously we were in court uh, for part A, which can be an expensive exercise at the moment, uh, the estimate Just, is 500,000. Uh, so that's, 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 that's the amount that we can Walter, Walter, Bamba, you have got an echo uh, in your space. I don't know whether it's another mic on, but there's a feedback. So we are battling to capture all that you are saying. So can we all just mute uh, colleagues and then Walter Mslampich, please just start again. I'm not sure colleagues captured you because your, your voice was... Uh, duplicating everything you said was coming in twice. It was like one of those radio feedbacks. Okay, please just start again so that we can capture correctly what you say. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. I hope it's a bit clearer now. Um, so uh, just to, to, to reiterate what I said, I said, obviously, when it comes to a, to a review matter where there's a part A and a part B, what ordinarily happens is it, relates, is it pertains to costs is that the court in part A will say that any matter pertaining to costs is reserved until the finalization of, of part B. So, it, and obviously the costs will follow the, 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 the team that would have won the case and then obviously the losing would then be the one to, to pay the costs incurred. Uh, but there's a rough estimate because we do get invoiced on a, on, a, on a monthly basis. The rough estimate at this stage on the costs primarily because we were in court for, for over, almost half a day, is the estimate at the moment is 500,000 rands. Uh, thank you, Chair. Okay. Thank you very much, Trish. Are there any further responses and are there any other follow-ups on the REF matter and then we can move on? Honorable Chair, uh, it's, it's been a, just, just to deal with... Thank you. Uh, just to deal with uh, the, the question around uh, the reasons why uh, RAF decided to change their accounting policy, the reasons that were provided by management was to ensure that they achieve fair presentation, uh, hence the use of IPSIS 42, and that was the reason given to us. And then the other question, I think, around the OAG and what, what their views was, I think they concluded that it was also inappropriate uh, for RAF uh, to use IPSOS 42 uh, to account for the claims liability. 
I think we've covered all the questions here. Thank you. Chat. Uh, Vinay, you fading. I don't know what happened. You sort of was just drifting. Honorable Mente? No, Che. There's just one clarity I need. Okay. Did the AG only become aware of this Ipsos on their arrival at the entity for audit? Wasn't there any red flag on any indication that they are changing their accounting standards? The standards which are going to put the AG on a back foot in order to obtain the required information for them to meet the requirements of auditing the entity. Because this is this is going to be very serious. I think AG looks at it uh, from a point of no, we didn't get it, that's it. And we're just going to give them a disclaimer. And they're going to stand firm to say, we used international standards and we see nothing wrong with that. We met our obligations. And if UAG cannot then be able to obtain your information, it's none of our business. That's the kind of detail we need. I, I, I'm not sure, Che, if I'm clear, because I'm really not comfortable with these explanations. I'm not hearing the explanation of AG. We're dealing with this entity, we're going to call them, and they are going to say, we met our obligation, we complied with the particular standards that we utilized as an entity. So for Auditor General to say they don't find it, we don't understand. Can we now be clarified completely clear? You don't know the standard. You don't recognize the standard. You were not aware of the standard. And when did you become aware of it? Thank you, Chair. Hatsebe, Chair. All right, Honorable Hatsebe. No, thanks, Chair. The follow-up is that um, having received a clean audit, um, and they decide to change to another accounting standard. And the, the, the explanation is that they want to um, get fair representation. Was clean audit not um, giving them the fair representation that they want to achieve with the change? Um, um, I, I know this question is uh, entirely dependent on those that made the change, which is the entity itself. But um, if the AG team does not have further information, it's okay. But if they do, it will assist us in interacting with, with the AG, I mean, with, with the entity. What's this fair representation that they couldn't get when they achieved a clean audit? What I also don't understand, Chair, uh, are there any consequences for the entity to choose uh, uh, Ipsos 42, which is not part of the list as per the Directive 5, um, shouldn't there be consequences for such? And why is this international public sector accounting standards, uh, uh, which I assume if something is an international standard, it incorporates its all the standards within various uh, 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 
accounting practice? Why is it not part of the directive? What are the reasons for excluding um, Ipsos 42 from the list of standard for use in Directive 5 so that we, we have that uh, understanding, Chair? But I'm more interested uh, in the consequences for an entity to willingly and knowingly opt for something that is not catered for in Directive 5. Uh, if they can uh, share with us, will we be justified to, to seek to recommend that there should be consequences for such an action? Thank you, Chair. Uh, Babu Samuel, I see your hand. Is it a current hand or a historic hand? All right, let's get uh, responses to that. And Babu Samuel, I think that's a historic hand. All right. Yeah, it's a legacy hand. Le legacy hand. All right. <laughs> All right, let's get responses to that then. Thanks, uh, colleagues. Okay, no, no, th thank you so much, Chairperson, uh, uh, for the questions. I'm Mukona Nicholas, part of the Ultra General team. I'll start with the question that was raised by Honorable Mentor around the, ch the changes. What has what has changed? Whether as AJC, uh, we, 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 we have seen the red flags. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll explain to this, I'll, I'll respond to it this, in this way. We, we have been having engagement with RF management on the change in accounting policy uh, around, around, around June, June. And, and as part of the, as part of the preparation of financial statement, management is allowed to, to, to change accounting policy. But that has to be done in accordance with the prescribed reporting framework. And as AGC, our responsibility is to come and evaluate the appropriateness of that change in accounting policy. Then after management have made decision to change these accounting policies, we came and say, we, we, we engage management and indicate that we don't believe that that change is appropriate, is in line with the appropriate framework. Then of course, management disagreed with our positions and also did not agree with, with, their, with their positions. And in terms of the standard, where there is a, a disagreement, we are allowed to conclude on a disagreement. And this uh, position, uh, this position that we're, we're at now, where we have issued a disclaimer of opinion because of that disagreement. There has been engagement with management. We're aware about the matter, but it's just because we are not finding each other on the matter, hence the conclusion that we've issued now. Then uh, the question that was raised by Honorable Hadewe around the the clean, if there was a clean audit the prior, was that not a, 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 a fair presentation? It, it, it is our position. It is, it is our position, Ms. AJC, that in the priors, those financial statements were fairly presented. Hence, we're able to issue an modified opinion. And in the current year, we have the view that the financial statements are not fairly presented. Hence, you are able to, hence, we issued a disclaimer of opinion. Uh, around the, the, what, what, what was the, what was the reason for exclusion of interest 42 from uh, Directive 5? It, it, it's made because uh, ASB 
they, 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 they are still trying to find an appropriate uh, standard for the entities like your RAF. Then like they, 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 they have indicated in their correspondence that they are still in that project. Hence, uh, they, they currently like they don't have Ipsos 42 or they're not prescribing Ipsos 42 for use. I think those are my response chapters. I'm not sure if there's anything that I've missed. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you very much. All right, colleagues, let's do this. Chair, chair the, the, the question who, who then supposed to effect consequence on the choice of opting for something that is not uh, uh, provided for in the directives? Uh, who, which um, a body? That ought to follow up in this in, on, on, on this matter. Okay. Right. AG. Missing. Uh, yes. This is Nicholas. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can uh, to respond to that. Okay. Yeah. Chair, thank you very much. My apologies for coming in here. Maybe I did not hear I've got problems with the network. I just want to hear whether the system that was used by the entity is acceptable according to the accounting uh, uh, procedures. Just to hear, maybe it was responded to, but I did not hear. Is it, is it acceptable? according to the South African accounting procedures. Just as is, 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 is additional question, please, Chair. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. AG, Tim, you will respond um, as you deem fit in terms of delegating who responds. Thank you. Thank you, Chair President. Um, thank you, Chair President, and thank you to to the members for, for the additional clarification question. So maybe let's start with, 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 with just maybe clarifying um, the role of the AGSA um, and the role of the Accounting Standards Board and the role of, of, of management. So as we've indicated in, in our engagements today, so the Accounting Standards Board, uh, which is a body that is entrusted with the responsibility of setting out the accounting framework is the one that would set out and a, 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 a framework that must be adopted uh, by, by a particular entity. Um, obviously, then the responsibility of the accounting authorities then to ensure that they prepare financial statements in accordance with the framework that, that, that has been uh, promulgated by, by the Accounting Standards Board. Um, where we find ourselves with in terms of the, of, of the REF situation is that us as auditors will obviously audit in terms of the accounting framework that is available for use. And in this instance, as, as Nicholas has indicated, the Ipsos 42 um, was a, an, an international standard that was not yet recognized by the accounting standard board as one that can be incorporated into the accounting framework that can be adopted by entities in preparing their financial statements. So, Hence, to that, to that end, um, 
when we were auditing in, in terms of the, as, as Auditor General, we then could not recognize the standard that had been adopted by management in terms of formulating uh, the, the accounting policy and ultimately reporting on the accounting affairs of, 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 of REF uh, for, for, for the 2021 uh, financial year. So I think that clarification is important to say, yes, the standard is available. Yes, there is an international standard, but it had not been actually recognized by the Accounting Standards Board as one that can actually be used uh, by, by entities in terms of determining uh, their the, the, the accounting for, uh, for, for, for matters such as provisions for claims within entities such, just such as RAF. So that, that's the one part of it. Um, so there's a question that was also asked around uh, consequence management. Um, and as we've indicated, um, the accounting authority is the one that is responsible for uh, the preparation of these financial statements. To the extent that when we audit these financial statements, we find that as Auditor General, those financial statements have then not been fairly presented in accordance with a particular framework. Our responsibility is really to then express an opinion on that. And that is what is going to then be included in, in, the, in the financial statements. Uh, sorry, in, in our audit report. Uh, but to the extent of, of, of consequence management in terms of whether there is any particular regulatory body uh, that would uh, that would be tasked with taking consequence management uh, in terms of a, uh, an accounting standard that had been adopted, which, which is not available for use, we, we are not aware of, of one. But safe to say that there is always a responsibility on those charged with governance on the executive authority um, and, and other parliamentary structures to uh, interrogate the results that are coming out uh, or the outcomes that are coming out um, and, and certainly uh, engage uh, the, the, the REF in terms of uh, those audit outcomes and understand what was their reasoning for, 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 for opting for, for what, 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 what they've indicated. And ultimately, through those engagements, then appropriate action can then be taken uh, through those, those oversight structures um, to the extent that um, it has been interrogated, action plans have been interrogated um, to, to that extent. So I think from our responsibilities, Auditor General, it's really to say that at the end of the day, we would then issue an opinion and then it's up to uh, the oversight structures to, to interrogate that further and, and take the necessary actions where, where, where appropriate. Um, Chair, I think I've, I've, I've responded to the questions. If I've missed any, I'm more than willing to, to take uh, another question if there's one that we, we've actually missed. Thanks, Chair. Buya, Salo, Buya. No, I was, I'm trying to process that. Uh, Honorable Mente. Yeah, Ngozi's fellow. Miss Singo, you are coming all right now. But where you are not going is the standard is not recognized by your system in order for you to have um, to conduct a, 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 an audit. Did you make the entity aware that you are using an IPSA standard that is international? Fine. However, in terms of our frameworks, available frameworks to us as Auditor General, and for us to audit you as an entity of state, and us as an Auditor General, 
with the responsibility of ensuring that you meet the standards of expenditure and whatever you get from a public purse. This which you are going to use is not recognized by us. Was that advice offered? And upon it being offered, was it rejected? At what stage? Because these are the questions that we must be clear of before the entity comes to us. Thank you, Chair. Yeah. Um, Honorable Bukas. Thank you, Chair. Uh, just on that, sorry, Chair. I want uh, to ask, are there any engagement between the AG and RAF, uh, except for the legal battle? Because uh, through the legal battle, they will not be able to rebuild the relationship. So what is the current status now? Are they just waiting uh, for the legal battle? Or are there any uh, engagement between them? Thank you, Chair. Okay. AG. Look, thank you, Chair, again, and thank you to the members. I think the, the, the question to, to the answer to the first question is yes, we did certainly uh, engage RAF as soon as they, they, they made the decision to, um, uh, to adopt uh, IPSIS 42 or rather to, to change their content policy uh, to align with IPSIS 42. So that engagement did, did, did indeed take place. We did advise them that. Uh, the, the standard is not available for use. Uh, we also did advise them that it would not be appropriate to use that particular standard um, in the adoption and of, of the accounting policy and, and the preparation of the financial statement. So yes, those, those engagements did indeed uh, take place. Um, and, and I think that those were, again, uh, if you've listened to uh, what we've been engaging on throughout the morning was that it was actually at the core of the disagreement and the protected nature of, of this audit process in the current year. Um, it was certainly around those engagements as soon as we became aware. Um, in terms of the current status of, of, of our relationship with the REF, um, I, I think we do acknowledge on both ends that uh, the audit process uh, of the prior year has actually been challenging. Uh, but what we also do acknowledge is that we need to continue to work together uh, certainly both uh, from executing our mandate as the Auditor General and from RAF um, needing to, to execute uh, their mandate. So currently what we've agreed with management is that we will certainly continue with the audit process. We will work on, on, on rebuilding the, 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 the relationship. Um, yes, there is a litigation process that's undergoing. Um, and, and I think we, we, we make those resolutions together with management, understanding that that process will still unfold, but it should in no way um, uh, prevent us from, uh, from, from continuing with the audit process and ensuring that there is certainly accountability um, in terms of, of, of the REF accounts uh, in as far as, as our mandate is concerned. Uh, thank you, Chair. Okay. I think because the uh, colleagues, REF is on the 17th, uh, let us um, digest this. It's just, it's a huge, it's just that what, what comes out here is uh, clean audit does not translate into service delivery. I think that's the difficult question that one grapples with on one hand, and then of course, uh, 
changes must be sanctioned uh, in law and in statute. So we need to grapple with all those fundamental questions about uh, uh, REF and as things stand now before us, AG has disclaimed them and it is now incumbent on REF to um, explain itself. Um, and I think we've got a clear basis. As Honorable Mentor said, the, the explanations are finally coming all right. So I think let us, uh, we can, bring to a close the ref matters. Mam Dolashe, is that a new hand or a historic hand? A legacy hand? It's a new hand. Oh, just a small okay. but cost. Just a, a small but cost for, for us as copper. I listen the tools and from between the entity and AG. Uh, they are at the same level. I think as copper, let's take let's take it upon ourselves, Chair to look at this matter more closer and 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 find a way on how we can it can be resolved and be avoided going forward because the 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 impression that is created here there's non cooperation to one of them when it didn't fit and creating more problems for the other so i think in avoiding this going forward chair let's escopa early look at this matter so that we don't sit and ask questions between the two of them, but we provide more leadership than anything else. I'm worried uh, if one entity can behave like we are being informed, then we have got bigger problems than we anticipate. Thanks, Chair. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Mamti. All right, um, AG, let us go to... Um, let us go to... SAA, Babusuma, please mute. Let's go to SAA. Oh, no, chair. Chair. Oh, yes. Chair. Okay. What, 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 yeah. You see, my interview is a little one. Okay. The the other difficulty which we find ourselves in currently is that the matters are in the courts. And uh, what, 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 what the AG is doing now is on the basis, it's only on the basis uh, of the report, something which they've done. And, and what they gave us is what they ought to uh, probably count on uh, on the areas of failure uh, around uh, rough uh, currently. And, and uh, that's why earlier on, the, the, the Office of the Accountant General uh, for, for us to determine uh, the veracity uh, of, the, of the absence uh, of our approved standards in terms of their own accounting. So, so if that is the case, uh, into the indication of Rav Mas expect, uh, or we might uh, probably find ourselves in a situation where they would see we are not currently in our view ourselves uh, thank you very much Chair. 
Okay, Babson, please send uh, what you are saying in writing. We we lost you there, um, but I think we we can have a discussion about it. All right, uh, Honorable Hatib, I see your hand, and then we'll Not go on I, to yes. you for the CA. Yes, my, my, my question when I ask about Part B, Chair, I wanted to um, ascertain what is subjudy care and what's not in terms of us engaging with the NTT um, on the scheduled date, Chair. I, I assume by mere fact that having one Part A to release the report, um, there's nothing that will prohibit us from engaging on the content of that report unless uh, part b uh, seeks to uh, in a way dismiss some of the findings as contained in that report uh, but uh, being a layman uh, as i am my initial sense was that once the report is released, we can engage on it. But I'm cautious and mindful of the fact that there's part B uh, that is still outstanding. So the, the essence of my question is to find out what is it that is still subjudicate and cannot be uh, discussed. Okay. It's fine. We will uh, look at that. Honorable Mente will be the last one on this, and then we move on, colleagues. Honorable Mente. Thank you, Chair. Um, just one area of concern also is that, did the AG write to the uh, accounting authority as well as the executive authority of RAF uh, pertaining to the difficulty and the unrecognizable standards the entity was using even when they are advised not to continue using that? And what was the response? Thank you. Okay. Responses to that? Um, thank you, Chair. Uh, Chair, am I audible? Okay, yes, you are. Um, so, Chair, thank you again. Um, maybe to the questions that have been raised in terms of whether, uh, as the Auditor General, we did engage the, the accounting authority. I think the, the, the question is, is the, the, the answer to that question is also certainly yes. I think um, at the point when we started the engagements, we were engaging with management, we were engaging with the audit committee, um, and we did seek uh, the assistance of the accounting authority as well in terms of assisting us in terms of uh, resolving um, the difference of opinion that we had. Um, also in those engagements, uh, we were quite clear in our message around uh, the appropriateness of the accounting policy that, that had been adopted um, and, 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 and the, the, the resulting consequences of, of fair presentation to, to, to the financial statements. So the simple answer to, to that question, Chair, is that yes, indeed, we did, um, we did engage the accounting authority. Um, we also did have um, did sensitize the the, the, the the executive authority when it came to us uh, finalizing the the audit process and proceeding to uh, uh, table the the, the, the audit report. Uh, you would see it in our 
briefing document that that was also an, an avenue that we we we, we also uh, uh, considered and 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 the account the executive authority did also respond uh, to indicate to us that uh, this matter was sitting in 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 the courts um, and hence uh, uh, ref was not able to table uh, the audit report at that particular point in time but um, as indicated we did. Um, and then proceed to 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 engage the the speaker of parliament and table the reports um, accordingly. I think on the matter of uh, that was raised in terms of what matters could be subjudicated. Maybe let me hand that over to to my technical team to just assist with that. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, and through you, honourable chair. So definitely, you know, with, the, with, with regards to this particular matter, the, the court documents are of public record, so nothing is subjudicated in that regard. A report has since been published and is now a public record. Therefore, yet again, nothing in that regard is uh, subjudicated. Uh, Walter, please just repeat that response. So, so as it relates to to move to it rather fast, and I think oh, okay. it's at the heart of what Honorable Hadebe was was gauging. No, thank you, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair. So, as it relates to the aspect of subjudicate, to the extent that are there certain aspects that cannot be engaged upon as it relates to this matter. Uh, my response to that is uh, no, there is nothing because one, the court papers and all the arguments that have been raised by both parties are now a matter of public record because uh, they have been made public through the court process. Uh, secondly, as it relates to the actual contents of the report, because part A wanted to interdict the publishing of the actual report, but obviously the court disagreed. Therefore, we went ahead and, um, and published the report via by the Speaker of Parliament. Therefore, the contents of that particular report are also a matter of public record. So um, nothing in that respect is uh, subjudicated. Thank you. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you very much, AG. All right. Um, let's go to SAA. Yes, morning. And uh, committee members, my name is Elisa Swagala. I've been introduced earlier by Madi. Uh, with me to talk to SAA is Fumulani Rabonda. He will uh, talk us through the presentation we've prepared for the committee chair. Uh, I think if we could start with beaming the presentation already. But as a bit of background on SAA, I think um, this has been an entity in transition chair and uh, an entity going through a lot of changes in the past three years, um, at least. We know that in December of 2019, it went into business rescue at the trigger of the board. Uh, it emerged from that process last year around end of April. So insofar as the audit process is, is concerned, then chair, uh, we audited SAA for the first time for the 16-17 financial year. And uh, post that, when we were just about to complete the 17-18 audit, then we had to pull away uh, through the request of the board as they were trying to sort the liquidity and solvency challenges that were overwhelming at that stage. Uh, 
So uh, that audit was then paused in 2019. We just concluded that audit earlier this year, I'll call it two months ago, uh, in Feb, uh, that was the 17-18 audit. So what we're going to talk to Chair is a bit dated by regular standards, but we still owe you those insights as a, as a committee and as an audit office. And then we'll uh, uh, catch you up also on the outstanding audits. We do not have the financial statements for at least four years, if we count in March of 2022. Uh, those financial statements are due by the end of May. If those are not submitted by end of this month, then we'll have four years in outstanding financial statements from SAA to enable us to kickstart the audits. But we'll take you into a bit more detail, Chair, as we go through the presentation. Um, and my colleague from Milani will, will uh, drive us through those. Thanks, Chair. And uh, through you over to Fumalani now. Okay, thank you very much. He asked for sharing, right? I don't think he needs those. And um, thanks, Solisa, right? So Fumalani, you're good to go. Uh, good morning, uh, Honorable Chair. Good morning to the honorable members of the committee, my colleagues from the Auditor General of South Africa, and also other guests who may be attending today's session. Uh, Zolisa has already uh, introduced the message for today, and which majority of it is sitting on this slide that I'm beaming currently, Chair. Uh, but just to try and close it, uh, some of the key uh, elements here. So SAA did come out of business rescue uh, on the 30th of April last year, as it's public knowledge. And uh, since then, we then uh, resumed with our public responsibility to complete the outstanding audit, which was the audit of 2017-2018. Uh, uh, that, uh, that process, we started the process with management and the board to get them to approve the financial statements and uh, send us the financials for auditing and we completed that process by, the, uh, by February this year. We then also, uh, in the, in, in, during the process, we're also busy on the background trend to come together with an approach that will help us to kickstart the audits for the outstanding financial years, 18, 19, 1920, 2021, And there's something that we just need to also highlight, Honorable Chair, that uh, the ongoing process of uh, transferring the 51% controlling stake from the from government to a consortium led by Takatsu Consortium uh, does change a lot of things. And it's one of the things that as we are uh, coming up together with the process of uh, closing the outstanding financial statements, we also need to be mindful of, and it's a process, it's also the impression that uh, the role of parliament gets affected by that, the role of the AG, and also the role of government in that. Because what will come out of that is that uh, SAA, in its own form will not necessarily be what we call a 100% con I mean a state control entity. Majority of it will be private control, which means that um, a government through the national treasury, they need to, and through the national treasury and the department of public enterprises, then to determine a model that says, how do we oversee this entity? Because it's no longer going to be a public entity per se, as per the PFMA. The requirements of the PFMA that apply publicly may not necessarily apply to them. When we engage with the Department of Public Enterprises, they did indicate that uh, the model that they are going to adopt is similar to the model of, um, so the nature of the entity would be similar to what they have with telecom, where the government has a, a, a minority state stake there, and telecom does not require, it's not required to 
uh, it's not accountable in uh, in a manner that PFMA requires. So that's what's going to come out of here. And as we're engaging, we also need to think about uh, uh, the the impact of this particular thing on the on role of various stakeholders that uh, oversee the audit or the entity SAA. Turn to yeah. So this is just a timeline of the key events, uh, Honourable Chair. Uh, we have already spoken to some of some of these ones here. And I just want to talk to the last one, which I was talking to now. On the 3rd of March, a government, uh, through the uh, cabinet statement, they did announce that the agreement to sell 15% controlling stake to Takato Consortium has been signed. Uh, what was uh, outstanding, which is still outstanding now, are the uh, regulatory approvals. And those approvals talk to the approvals from the Competition Commission and other uh, aviation authorities that needs to approve the transferring of ownership. And as I did indicate that uh, the impact of that uh, uh, changes the who owns the uh, entity and the nature of the entity and things like those. When we engage with the DPE, maybe let me start by saying uh, that uh, we have not seen the agreement. We did request the agreement, but uh, the DPE did indicate that because the agreement is not finalized in the, the, the transition, and finalized in the terms of, in terms of approvals that are needed, they will only uh, be making this uh, agreement available to us once that transition has been finalized. So there are some questions that we've just highlighted, which uh, will be answered once the, uh, we have looked at the agreement to be able to see the role of government in the entity, the award we then place ourselves there as, gov- as the uh, public sector auditor, and also understanding the role of the pub- uh, uh, parliamentary oversight bodies, including yourselves. The, we also understand that the one subsidiary being Mango is not included in the transaction. So what Takasa is going to buy is SAA and other subsidiaries with Mango removed from that particular transaction. That is why currently through the business risk process, Mango is currently uh, published in uh, invitation for interest for parties that are willing to buy the controlling stake. Uh, in Mango so that Mango can be a separate entity and also have its own strategic equity partner. We, another key thing as we are busy dealing with this period of transition is the question of accountability and consequence management because there have been uh, these four years which we, say, we highlight that they are attending, which SAA has been a state-owned entity, 100% control state-owned entity. And public funds were utilized in that period. And we need to ensure that there is accountability for that. There also couldn't management for the wrongdoing that may have happened there. So it is very important that um, from our side as the Auditor General and also other oversight bodies, uh, in this transition period, the manner in which we deal with the concept of consensus management, it it, it still ensures that those irregularities that may have happened when SAA was still a state 100% contrasted entity, they are still being dealt with even when SAA is in private hands. So basically, you'll understand that at the AGSA with our expanded mandate of uh, dealing with material irregularities, we have also included SAA. On the external audits, uh, our approach will include material irregularities, but how we deal with those material irregularities must be appreciative of the fact that when SAA is no longer uh, government controlled, PFMA may not necessarily apply. There will be no requirement to disclose the regular expenditure. 
there will be no requirement to disclose fraud of social expenditure. And as a result, there will be no requirement to investigate and deal with those type of expenditures because those requirements come from the PFM and there are requirements upon the accounting authorities of public entities, which will not be the case with SAA. So how we then deal with these approaches of management, we must make sure that the, our, our findings and the type of recommend that we put there, they are in firm in a manner that they still drive and enforce accountability even when SAA is in private hands. So this is what they were trying to to, to highlight in this particular uh, slide when we are highlighting the element of uh, material irregularities and also trying to highlight also that uh, the report from Third Capture Commission, the very first volume, uh, the chapter specifically on SAA, we did take note of that, we did uh, look at the irregularities that were highlighted there and those are some of the things that uh, during the transition, we need to make sure that they are not lost and uh, we, we uh, nobody does anything about them. They must still be highlighted through these approaches that we're working on. So uh, now we move to the audit outcome for the period ended 31 March 2018. This is the part which uh, my colleagues Alyssa did indicate that uh, in the normal sense of things, it's uh, kind of late. And this is because of that suspending the audit and only us funding the audit now in February 2022. But uh, we still uh, have the responsibility to share this message with yourself, Chair. And that uh, we started auditing SAA, or we took back the audit of SAA in the period 2016-2017. In that audit, uh, we gave the uh, group an, a qualified audit opinion. All the entities within the group were qualified. And then we audited again in the 2018, and that uh, year it, the results were stagnant in qualified, with only Mango regressing to a disclaimer. And the reason for the disclaimer is primarily because uh, at the time of the report, there was insufficient evidence to support the going concern assumption of Mango. And that has now been supported also with the uh, Mango going under business rescue as well to say there is that. Uh, and uh, uh, in a beautiful opinion to say is this company a going concern company or not. Uh, we have already started with engagement with management uh, and the board at SAA and also with the DPE to formulating our plan to kickstart the outstanding audits and the primary of that uh, in their plan is uh, the commitment from SAA on the timelines on when are they going to be able to submit the financial statements for all the remaining uh, years and also for each and every company within within, within the group because most of those uh, is, uh, subsidiaries, they are what we call uh, major subsidiaries in the group, which means that if one of them is submitted, they affect materially the financial result that are sitting in the group financial statements. Hence, we need the financial statements for all of them. Uh, this slide, uh, Honorable Chair, is uh, showing the areas of qualification. You can see that we had 12 qualification paragraphs, uh, starting with a qualification on property plant and equipment. Specifically, it's an accounting requirement around the uh, regular review of useful lives and residual values, which we concluded that uh, the manner which it was done, it was incom uh, inadequate. There were qualifications on the completeness of the regular expenditure. We'll show you a slide on the regular expenditure and also on fruitless and wasteful expenditure, which was a, it's incomplete, that was which was disclosed. We had limitation of scopes on uh, trade and other payables, inventory, maintenance costs, and also 
uh, intangible assets. Uh, we concluded that the values, that uh, the, the valuation uh, of uh, trade and other receivables uh, was incorrectly done, which resulted in an understatement of the receivable. Uh, there were also limited scope on uh, tax and the deferred tax uh, related parties as well. And uh, also we concluded that there were inadequate impairment uh, assessments that were done on the investment in uh, subsidiaries. So the money, the, the investment that the SAA have made in their subsidiaries, uh, we felt that uh, the valuation there is, may not be correct because the impairment assessment was inadequate. And uh, uh, finally, we also had a limited scope on the commitments that were disclosed. On around uh, compliance, we also had about uh, uh, 10, nine or 10 uh, material non-compliance and the areas related to financial statements, two of which is that uh, there were a little submission of financial statements, uh, linking directly to the fact that uh, the board could not give us financial statements that were approved back in 2019 when we suspended the audit, and that only came now. So that's a little submission. The financial statements, because of the material misstatement that we identified, were also not complied with the financial state, with the requirements of the PFMA. There were uh, our audits of the uh, assets also identified that there were no in, in, uh, inadequate controls to safeguard and maintain the assets. So hence we had the material uh, non-compliance in that regard. And also there was a, a financial system that was given to subsidiaries, uh, one of which was, a, I think it was a airships. Uh, which the manner in which that financial statement was given does not, did not comply with the uh, company's act, specifically the requirement for a shareholder's resolution to support that financial system. That's the recommendation that, that we reported back in 2017, 2018. And also quarterly reports, which were not submitted on a regular basis to the shareholder department or the, to the executive authority as required by the PFMA. We, because of the linking with the qualification on irregular expenditure and financial expenditure, we reported maternal compliance on ineffective steps to, to prevent uh, this uh, a type of expenditures. And there were findings in related, under another finding basically, under property contract management, which uh, are grouped under the term uncompetitive and unfair property processes. And also, we were not convinced or didn't have evidence to support. Uh, Consequence management, hence we said that there was inadequate consequence management. So that, that, that is the audit that comes out of it. And then just continue on that part, Chair, uh, or specifically on the aspect of irregular expenditure and fraudulent expenditure over the two year period that we audited. Uh, you will see that uh, in 2016 17, the financial statements of SAA, they disclosed an irregular expenditure of 126 million. When we did the audit the following year, there was a lot of development that was identified that related to the previous years. That's why there was then an adjustment of that uh, 16-17 irregular expenditure by about 11.9 billion. So the irregular expenditure then was, that was incurred in the 2016-17 financial year, as represented by the uh, uh, gray bar, was over 12.1 billion. In the year of 2018, an additional 9.9 billion rand was also incurred in irregular expenditure, and bringing the total irregular expenditure uh, balance, closing balance as of today, to 22 billion rand. That is the balance that is disclosed. 
However, as we indicated earlier on, uh, this balance, we qualified on it on the basis of incompleteness. So that it means it's not complete. Uh, as management has noted fully undertaken the, pro the process to quantify the full extent of the regular expenditure. So that, that, that it, this uh, figure that we're sharing now must be taken in that context. Then um, the full regular expenditure, which is the expenditure that is uh, incurred in vain. So basically there was no value for money for this expenditure. In the 1617, it was 40 million rand that we identified it and it was disclosed. And then in the uh, 2018, it was 130 million rand. However, Chair, we need to highlight that, uh, again, uh, this uh, expenditure which is disclosed is incomplete. That is why we've got the qualification paragraph around that. And uh, the closing balance, which is incomplete, 24.8 million rand. We also uh, highlight that, that uh, in the disclosure, there are two areas which um, the, the disclosure make. So first is that uh, about 130 million rand has been returned off as irrecoverable. And also there is a 12.9 million rand that was removed as uh, recovered. So the 130 million rand, we were able to get the information to say, indeed, this was irrecoverable. It's related to uh, penalties and interest charged by SARS back in the, back in the day. And uh, when uh, investment was, the investigation was done by management, the conclusion was that uh, there was a system error that caused under-provision of the VAT that was declared to SARS. And the SARS as a result of that under-provision child penalties and interest, but they could not uh, identify that this, uh, they, oh, the investment could not say this particular person or role player was to blame or is liable. Hence, so they could conclude that that particular amount is irrecoverable and they wrote it off in accordance with the irregular framework of national treasury. But the 12.9 million rand, which is disclosed in the penalty statement as uh, recovered, that is part of the qualification and that that balance, we could not uh, get enough evidence to support it. Uh, so we, uh, we, we, we could not uh, verify that 12.9 million rand that indeed it was uh, recovered as part of the qualification. So in concluding our message around SAA, we just want to also highlight the key root causes that uh, at the at the end, this uh, audit come for the financial year ended the 1 May 2018, and also the recommendations that we highlight when we engage with management around this thing. It's uh, issues around instability and uh, and vacancies in key positions. Back then, uh, we know that there was a uh, multiple changes in executive positions at uh, SAA, which uh, affected the control environment and the stability of the controls in the in the environment. There were uh, management was a uh, struggling to also implement adequate controls to prevent non-compliance with procurement legislation. They could not uh, effectively develop and monitor implementation of a remedial audit plan to improve the audit come which were reported in 2017. There was also inadequate basic financial management disciplines. Uh, this uh, mostly related to issues of reconciliation and also ensuring that transactions are supported by documents and that those documents are available for audit on a timely manner. And uh, the financial statement themselves, uh, as indicated by the qualification, they, 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 they were, it was demonstrated that they were not adequately reviewed to ensure that they are reliable financial, a set of financial records. So with this uh, message, we also say now that as a 
again, in linking with the transition period and uh, management trying to put together the projects for the other financial years that are outstanding, we highlight the fact that a lot has changed in the entity. We're not talking about the same control environment that was there back then. We're not talking about the same size of the entity that was back then. There are changes in the board, there are changes all, all around even the operations of SAA. And also there's still going to be changes with the transition that is underway of the strategic equity partner. And we're therefore saying that um, the board of SAA, together with management, should assess this outcome and determine the areas of concern in the context of the current circumstances to ensure that an effective action plan is developed to address these root causes. The root causes are still relevant, but they need to look at them in the context of the current circumstances of the, of the entity, the size of the entity and the operations. And uh, they must do, make sure that that action plan is implemented in preparing the financial for the outstanding financial years ranging from 2018-19 up until 2021-2022. Uh, we also talk about uh, a realistic nature of this action plan. Uh, what we have seen that with entities, honorable uh, chair, that they put together action plans, but when we look at the action plans, they become very unrealistic in terms of uh, appreciating the depth of work that needs to be done to address the historical material misstatements and also the time that is needed to do that. So, Chair, thank you very much for the time. Let me pause here and give you back the platform. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, okay, colleagues, uh, AG team, are you done in your entirety on this one? All right, colleagues, Babusono, uh, I'm going to assume that's a new hand and then honorable list in that order, please. Okay, honorable list. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you to the AG. Um, Mr. Chairman, we, we uh, We've known for a very, very long time about the sad state of affairs um, with SAA. And so probably very little is new here. But Mr. Chairman, there are some, some questions that I'd like to put to the AG. Um, first of all, the, the, the re, there was a regression and from the first year you audited and to the second, and you say it was because there were you had difficulty accepting the assertion that Mango was. Um, colleagues, can you please mute your mics unless you're on the platform? Thanks, Mr. Chairman. You, you had difficulty in accepting the assertion, which I assume that the board made, that Mango was a going concern. Um, and, and that, 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 um, that resulted in the regression from the one year to the next year. Having said that, um, what we don't see in recent years, we used to get, um, probably about five years ago, we used to get financial statements for all the, the component companies of SA Group. Um, what we're seeing now is, is the consolidated um, you, you've given us a report on the consolidation um, and we still haven't seen the financial statements for the individual components. Um, but you're telling us that at that stage, Mango was not a going concern 
And consequently, of course, it's now gone into business rescue. But I suspect the reasons it's gone into business rescue are, are not, not necessarily because it's not a going concern. I suspect that there are other reasons tied up with the Takatsu Consortium. Mr. Chairman, so the first question would be, um, in this year under discussion, did the AG accept that the SAA group was a going concern? And there will be follow-up questions depending on the answer. What then I'm led to, Mr. Chairman, is the next point is AG has informed us that they have not been allowed to see the agreement which apparently um, has been entered into between the government, the Department of Public Enterprises, I assume, and, and the Takatsu Consortium. And yet, Mr. Chairman, there is extensive comment about the status of SAA in terms of this agreement, including that the agreement doesn't include mango. Um, and other. so on what basis, AG, are you making these comments if you haven't seen the agreement? I must say, Mr. Chairman, I find it astounding that the AG has accepted that they be precluded from seeing this agreement. I find that incredible and, and a great disappointment about the AG. And perhaps the AG can, can give us sort of legal reasons why they should not see this agreement. And yet they comment fairly extensively to us as a committee about those, that agreement. It's now nearly a year since that agreement was announced and we see no real progress. We hear that it's been signed. We hear that National Treasury, we're not happy with certain aspects, and yet the Auditor General seems quite comfortable to let it simply take its course. Mr. Chairman, the, the, if I may, um, there will be some follow-up questions depending on the answers that I get. So if I may just hold there. Okay, um, are there any... All right. Seems as if yes, 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 right. Chair. Now, I, I just want um, the AG to assist us and make the implicit explicit, Chair. As soon as the... Okay, we now know that there's an agreement that was signed, even though the AG has not seen this agreement. But there are implications in relation to our mandate as scope and oversight in terms of how do we deal with the entity moving forward, including the outstanding issues. I'm, uh, I would request the AG to be explicit that moving forward, if this were to be, uh, okay, the agreement has been signed, if they were to see this agreement by tomorrow, what is it that will no longer be done by uh, us in terms of PFMA and our mandate? Uh, what outstanding matters 
can we still continue to pursue? They've tried to to to, to explain in, in their presentation, but uh, they were not that crystal clear. So that chair, when we um, engage with the the executive authority, the accounting authority, we know exactly um, areas where we still have work to do and areas that will automatically fall outside our mandate. I need that that guidance from the Auditor General uh, so that we we are not seen um, as acting outside our scope and our mandate once uh, uh, this sign agreement is seen. So what now made us to be where we are today dealing with this matter? Is it only because the agreement has not been seen? Once it's seen, uh, we are no longer including this entity as fully owned by government. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to get a, a clarity check. Can I be assisted in, in, in that regard? We now we know that uh, it was in 30th of April 2021 when SAA exited uh, the business rescue. Uh, we still have, I think, about how many? Uh, one, two, three, four outstanding. Can we still pursue those even though it will be forming uh, uh, the likes of um, telecom, uh, who will be accountable uh, uh, in ensuring that all the outstanding um, audit uh, are concluded if it will be 51% owned privately. Thank you, Chair. Let me pause there for now. I hope my question has been um, captured clearly. Okay, thank you very much, Honorable All right, um, I see no other hand. Right, let's get responses to those first, and then we'll come back for a second round if need be. Um, AG? Okay. Thanks, Chair. Yeah. All right, I'll start, Chair, and my colleague Fumalani will, will also step in. I think the first question from Honorable Lee centered around whether SAA. Uh, was a going concern, ne? and uh, the, there was a link to Mango there. Uh, it was uh, during our presentation represented that Mango was disclaimed because of, of uh, going concern challenges. So, Chair, at the end, when we signed 1718, and again, we've got the benefit, we had the benefit of time by the time we signed. So the standards require for us at the time that we sign to look forward uh, at least 12 months into the future's auditors and see, will this, uh, are there any uncertainties, first of all, that this entity is facing in terms of liquidity and solvency? If so, what are the initiatives that the entity is putting in place to counter those? So, Chair, um, and I want to draw attention to note 50 and 51 of the financial statements of, of SAA. So they went to town, the Chair, in terms of painting the picture and in uh, note 51 of their going concern status. 
So uh, from Note 50, they talk about the going, sort of the business rescue, how certain all the aircraft leases were actually cancelled. They talk about the VSP program that was introduced, various headcounts reduced uh, via the Section 189 process. They established a receivership. They received some money from government as part of the business rescue process. So all of those uh, factors, Chairperson, then put into a bucket and then you evaluate in terms of the way going forward. And then in note 51, Chair, so they outlined their going concern status and uh, analysis. Uh, they were um, outlining, amongst others, that they commenced flying within the domestic and the regional markets. Uh, they were talking to the SEP that had been identified and was at, uh, at an advanced stage at that. They were talking to SAT and SHFs receiving funding, uh, respectively, uh, in order to restructure their businesses and a whole lot of other initiatives, Chair. And uh, what we did then as auditors put that information all in a bucket and highlighted to the user those uncertainties and what the entity then says that they will do to counter those uncertainties, uh, which all of us agree that they are still there in the horizon. And and Chairperson, in in our respect and in line with our responsibilities, then we drew an emphasis of meta in our audit report to draw attention to exactly that, to say there are still uncertainties around SAA's going concern status. However, this is what they are saying to to counter those, the initiatives they want to put in place to counter uh, some of those um, initial, uh, challenges and uh, uncertainties there. So, so I draw attention to our audit report in that respect. And then in terms of Mango Chair, the, the going concern has been raised there as well. Uh, we know that COVID impacted the airline industry maybe like no other uh, because there was no flying for a, for a period of time. Mango was no different. Um, when we know that the business rescue then was triggered uh, by the board themselves, noting and noticing the state that the, the airline, the low-cost carrier was in. And again, Chair, we are looking at a... A benefit of time, yeah, at the time that we are signing the, the reports. By the time we're signing the reports, Mango was already in business rescue. And some of these matters were, were quite grave to, to, to assess. And in terms of how is Mango actually going to, 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 to emerge, um, you know, out of some of these financial difficulties. So those are some of the factors that, that influence the going concern status share, both at SAA and, 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 and Mango that's been that's that's been mentioned uh i'll leave the question around the the the, the pfma the from honorable khatebe to to fumlani uh, however let me mention around the the agreement so chair it's not a matter of we are comfortable that we haven't received the agreement uh, however it's something that as as we've said we don't have the f's themselves let alone agreements you know we don't have the f's post 1718 so it's part of the engagements that we're saying are still unfolding in us requesting and getting the f's and everything else that accompanies the special transactions that i'd say so we hope in due time chair we will get to that there's no reason that we shouldn't get that that agreement um, and and also, I guess if if the committee is interested to see and look at it earlier, a DPE can also maybe step in and, and assist the, the committee. But there's been no no 
uh, uh, barring, as far as I know, to say, AG, you shall not have a look at this increment. So it's part of the ongoing processes and engagement. So I'll step there and my colleague will cover the, the other bits, uh, Chair. Thanks. Yep, that's when it's the covering of the other bits. Thank you, Honorable Chair, and thank you, Zalisa, uh, for the, those other responses. Chair, uh, I'm getting bad news, just to indication if I'm audible. Uh, yes, you are. Thank you very much. So uh, I think uh, just starting with the question from uh, Honorable Hadewe around um, the, the PFMA, it's, um, the, for the period that SAA was what we call a state owned entity or a public entity, they still need to be accountability for those funds and assets of government, because it was an asset of government. So therefore, for all the financial years, up to the date when there will be legal transfer of control, there need to be financial statements that are of a public institution or an organ of state and must be audited appropriately, and the parliament still have a role to oversee that. That is around the entity control by the state. However, we still need to remember that even post the transfer of the 51% controlling state, there's still a government investment of 49%. That's still a government asset which still need to be overseen and that oversight will happen in the context of the uh, arrangement that are going to be in place between government and the shareholder through DPE or whatever mechanism that, that they put in place and the other shareholders of the entity as well. So basically it's not a matter of a, now that control is in private hands, we wash our hands, all of us in the public space, we do nothing. No, there's still a lot of a big portion, which is an uh, asset into, of the state in the company that we still need to be uh, looked at. But we can't just can't, right now at this point, put the detailed terms of uh, this, the nature of the asset, this is how we must oversee it, and the, the role of the AG, the role of parliament, and all those things until the transition is finalized. Then we'll be able to know the integrities around this particular uh, transaction. Uh, Honorable is, uh, mentioned, mentioned that they used to get uh, the financial statements for all the subsidiaries as well. Uh, I think from, from our side, is, uh, our role is around sharing the audit outcome. Uh, and uh, I think uh, SAA or the department may be requested to share the financial statements themselves together with the respective audit, audit reports. We did issue the reports individually to each entity. And uh, the Zero Authority does have the responsibility to table those in parliament. Honorable uh, Chair, I hope we have covered all the questions that were raised. Thank you. All right, I see the Honorable List has got his hand up. Honorable List. Mm, I'm now Honorable, not Mazamban. Eh? Uh... But you are interchangeable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mr. Chairman, thank you. Um, so, AG, you. you um, you have the benefit of hindsight, um, and I understand how that all works. But had you done the audit on time, so in other words, by um, September 2018, was it? Um, a long time ago. Because your basis of accepting the going concern assertion is events that 
have taken place subsequently, subsequent to Business Rescue in December 2019, and the basis of an unseen agreement about a, a, a gifting of 51% of the shares to Takatsu. So had you done the financial or the annual audit on time, you would not have had the benefit of that, uh, that future information. And I assume you would have then not accepted that the SAA group was a going concern. I would think that it would be um, pretty unprofessional had you done so. Given that that's the case, let's assume that's the case. Um, my question really to you is, the directors who continued to allow SAA to trade for a further three years, surely they were trading recklessly. What would your opinion of that be? All right, no, no thanks there. I'll start again and my colleagues will, will, will come. Um, yeah, so Honourable Lisa, I think, uh, put it well to say, look, you when, when, when you sign a bit late, you do have the benefit of time. Had we signed SAA back in 2018, um, I suspect the opinion might have been different to now, you know, um, because we know that in, in December of 2019, the board did press the button and entered the entity into business rescue, you know, because the liquidity and the solvency equations were not making sense at that, at that stage. So, and you fast forward to now, 2022, a lot has happened. A lot of, some people have expressed interest in, in the entity and made commitments in writing, binding uh, uh, agreements at that. Then it changes, does change the picture a, a bit. And, and to Honorable Lise's point, I think for, for us as, a, as, a, as auditors, we didn't give that a tick, if you will, because I'm still emphasizing in my report that use of the of the audit report pay attention there's some uncertainties around going concern at SAA and this is how what the board says will be done and and what is unfolding so at least we we're not silent there we we we, we, we were quite uh, vigilant to 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 not let that go you know despite you know everything else that was that was happening and then uh, 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 there's a question around the, the director's uh, chair. Yes, we know when it comes to SOEs, both the PFMA and the Companies Act uh, do apply. And uh, in this respect, we do rely on other partners and other stakeholders, entities like CIPC, as an example, who monitor, you know, these entities or must monitor these entities, issue a certificate if they believe there's reckless trading. I know for some of them, they've been issued, uh, Danelle is an example to say, we observing that there might be reckless trading, tell us why you do not believe there's some reckless trading, you know? So so we, so we, we, we observe all of those uh, chairperson and then um, the directors may, may be able to answer to say, maybe they're doing the best under the circumstances. They're not trading recklessly. 
and also outline whatever else that that may be at play and uh, that maybe outsiders may, may, may be privy to uh, observing from the outside. So it's a, it is a complicated question, Chair, uh, but I do appreciate the, the, the question from the member linking you know the happenings back to the to the directors and what may may need to happen there. For Malani through UK may also come in if maybe there's one or two matters he wants to um, cast insight into. Thanks, Chair. Through you, Chair, I just want to confirm that as Lisa did cover me. Thank you. Okay. Colleagues. The SAA headache, of course, has been with us for the longest of time and um, has proven to be um, yeah, it's just one of those uh, um, headaches, actually. So I think, uh, colleagues, AG has given us an update uh, of where things are. Chair. No, um, sorry, I ended up lowering my hand and excuse my ignorance in this regard. Okay. Um, so all the outstanding um, audits will still have to be finalized and we are obliged to exercise our mandate in this regard to get those. Um, will the uh, new shareholders be the ones that will be responsible for, for, for this um, in, in terms of um, accounting authority? How is it going to pan out, Chair? And please excuse my ignorance. I just uh, seek the indulgence in, in, in us moving forward with the, the, the new uh, arrangement of, of, of the SAA. No, there's um, no experience there, Honorable Hatem. I think it's pertinent. Yes, uh, because as things stands, we, we know that uh, the, the board of SAA are, are the ones that will have to come and account before us and their accounting authority. So what, what will happen? I'm, I'm not sure. I'm just trying to get a, a, a clear matching line of the way forward in relation to us getting these outstanding uh, audits. Thank you, Chair. Right, no, thanks. I, I suspect the... Um, the agreement is pertinent in this regard. And I think we, we, we need a focused attention on that um, because it provides, or rather should provide for the roadmap um, and the kind of due diligence that uh, was done to arrive at a position to dispose of um, 51% in the absence of almost four years of audit outcomes. So I think that is a critical element that we, we, we have to look at. And that's why I was saying that uh, SAA is, uh, is financial management matters are proving to be a headache, but I think 
we 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 must exercise the continued patience of in in progress or rather progress with the particular patients as we peel an onion, uh, because these are uncharted waters um, for all of us. So um, I think let us get um, yeah, AG to come in at this point, just to provide a clarity in terms of what is outstanding, what happens to those. Um, AG? Thanks, Chair. Um, I think I think uh, to answer the uh, the question of the honourable member, then we've got three years, at least three years of standing in terms of financial statements that SAA owes uh, us as auditors. So once we receive those three years, and you can make it four years, once we add 2022, we are going to audit those chair as as normal. We are going to table the audit reports and escalate to the Portfolio Committee, to SCOPA, as invited, those outcomes as per usual. So we, we, we give that commitment on our, on our side because uh, for, the, for, for those years and, and predominant for 2022, it might be a fraction of the year, uh, SAA was still an SOE, a state-owned entity for, for that matter. I think for the period beyond that, Chair, we were engaging DPE as well to say, DPE, what role would you need from us as auditors now that government will have a 49%. So those, those details and nitty-gritties are not yet fully ironed out, Chair. And I suspect by TPE themselves to say the, the kind of oversight they will want over that 49% uh, in terms of assurance from the audit office, what kind of, of work or assurance they may still need from us. So those are still ongoing, Chair. And, uh, and I think the, the question of the, of the member there is, is quite relevant. So we'll unpack those as we go, Chair, but for the four years, we'll still bring those, those audit outcomes to, to, the, to Parliament. Thanks. Okay, are you fine with that? No, Chair, yes, I'm, I'm covered. Thank you so much, Chairperson. Okay. All right. Now, let me therefore take this opportunity to thank, thank uh, AG uh, for the briefing on the Road Accident Fund. Uh, and um, <clears throat> SAA this morning, I think both very difficult briefings um, as they speak to a certain degree in evolution in the auditing space and insofar as parliamentary oversight is concerned, um, both, uh, you know, headaches in their own rights in terms of the new dynamics that they present. Um, but I think we are equal to the task at hand, colleagues, and um, we will have the, sh- the hearings as scheduled. Um, so I think we can thank the AG very much for um, the presentation uh, this morning. Um, we will communicate, uh, colleagues, when the draft report on ESCOM will reach you following our oversight visit. Uh, so, because that is scheduled for the 11th uh, of um, uh, of May, um, so that um, we can dispense with that report and have it sent to the House. Um, of course, largely to um, uh, speak to, because it's a continued over, uh, or rather a follow-up oversight visit from 2019, and the basis upon which 23 
recommendations were made by us and only nine so far have been met. And then of course, there's little wonder that um, things are as they are, we are in load shedding again. Um, so we will um, do that follow-up report um, from ESCOM. So I'm hopeful that colleagues, you will reach, will reach you by Friday or during the course of the weekend when it's done so that you can be able to make your input and hopefully we will um, actually uh, adopt it uh, next week on the 11th. So that's just the only matters uh, before us. Um, unless there's any other matter that colleagues you have, um, there is nothing else on our side. Uh, no, Chair, we, we, we're looking forward to adopting the SCOM report next week, Tuesday. All right. All right, colleagues, thank you very much. Um, there's a question session this afternoon. So imagine the house sitting is at um, 1,500 hours. Um, have yourselves a wonderful day and a wonderful afternoon. Do take care. And on that note, Team AG, thank you very much. The meeting stands adjourned. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Cheers, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.